సహనావతు సహనోనత్తు సహ వీర్యంకరవాహై తేజస్వినవధీకమస్తు మా విద్విషావహై ప్రీవియస్ వీక్ చాప్టర్ భగవద్గీత దిస్ ఇస్ వెరీ ఇంట్రెస్టింగ్ చాప్టర్ దిస్ ఇస్ వేర్ అర్జున మేక్స్ రిక్వెస్ట్ ఆఫ్ లా కృష్ణ టు షో హిస్ కాస్మిక్ ఫార్మ్ అండ్ లా కృష్ణ ఒబ్లైజ్ ఇన్ రైట్ అవే అండ్ షో దిస్ కాస్మిక్ ఫార్మ్ దర్ఫర్ ది నేమ్ ఆఫ్ దిస్ చాప్టర్ ఇస్ విశ్వరూప దర్శన దర్శనం ఆఫ్ విజన్ of this rupa the cosmic form of the lord <coughs> how it came about is in the 10th chapter <coughs> lord krishna describes his glories again as a request of arjuna arjuna asked lord krishna there in the 10th chapter katham vidyam aham yogin tvam sada parichindayam hey yogin addressing the lord as a hey yogin you are the greatest of the yogi కథం విద్యామహం హౌ కెన్ ఐ నో ఐ వాంట్ నో యూ త్వాం సదా పరిచింతయన్ ఆల్ దిస్ ఐఎమ్ థింకింగ్ అబౌట్ యూ స్వర్జన నోస్ ద వే టు నో ద లార్డ్ ఈస్ కాన్స్టెంట్లీ థింకింగ్ అబౌట్ హిమ్ మెడిటేటింగ్ అపాన్ హిమ్ రిఫ్లెక్టింగ్ అపాన్ హిమ్ సో లోడ్ ఐ వాంట్ ఆల్ ద టైమ్ థింక్ ఆఫ్ హిమ్ సో దర్ ఐ కమ్ టు నో యూ హౌ కెన్ ఐ థింక్ ఆఫ్ యూ ఆల్ ద టైమ్ అండ్ బికాస్ స్టిల్ my mind is not very settled or the lord krishna gave very sophisticated lessons in the 7th and 8th and 9th chapter describing himself what we call the sopadika and nirupadika bhagavad gita and vedanta describe this two fold form of the lord sopadika with all the upadis with all the names forms and glories so what you heard in the first class in the morning bhagavan one who is possessed of all the bhaga all the glories in their absolute way that the lord is a creator sustainer dissolver and therefore he is omniscient all knowing all powerful all pervasive and that the whole universe is nothing but the manifestation of the lord that he is the self of all his karma adhyaksha hai he is the one who presides over all the actions karma haladata he is the one who dispenses the result of all the actions so this is lord this is what we call supadhikam the form of the lord with upadhi with attributes and that is what we perceive <coughs> and what is the very nature of this the very very essence of even the supadhika even the lord who possesses all the forms all the names all the glories all the might all the knowledge what is the ultimate form of that lord is nirupadika that which is beyond or free from all the upadis all the attributes that is what we call the absolute form absolute means totally changeless and so the absolute reality is that which is devoid of any attributes any qualifications unqualified free from attributes names forms qualities is the absolute or the ultimate nature of the lord <coughs> and it is from that strange point that the lord is really my own self because really the only thing that there is that we can see that is devoid of all the qualities and attributes and specifications and qualifications really my own self everything else that i perceive is always qualified whatever i perceive with my eyes ears organs of perception whatever it is that i can perceive will always be limited in some way qualified because my eyes can perceive colors and form that's the qualification that's an attribute my ears can perceive sound and so forth and so on and thus all my organs of perception can perceive the objects of the world and whatever is perceived by me is always endowed with some quality some name some form some quality and therefore what is it that is without any name form or quality because whatever it is that i perceive whatever it is i can conceive in my mind there are many things that i don't perceive of course because the range of my perception is limited 
But whatever it is that I can think of in my mind, whatever it is that I can visualize in my mind, all of that is always going to have one or the other qualification because my mind can always think only in terms of some name, some form, some quality. The mind cannot comprehend or perceive or cannot visualize something that is devoid of any name, form or quality. And therefore, this is everything that I know of, everything that is an object of my knowledge, all of that always is going to be supadhikam, sagunam, with gunas, with qualities, with attributes. What is it that is devoid of all the attributes? <coughs> that which cannot be perceived. That which cannot be perceived is that which can never become the object of perception. <coughs> See, there are things that I cannot perceive now, but they can be perceived at some time. Like heavens, they say. So at the moment, that is not the object of my perception or object of my knowledge. But if after death, because of my virtues, punya, that I happen to go to heavens, then it will become an object of perception. Then I will know it will be something that is known. So whatever is known or whatever is knowable, whatever is known or knowable, perceived or perceivable by me, by you, or by anybody, at any time, any place, under any conditions. Because mosquitoes also perceive and ants also perceive. So we may not perceive or dogs also perceive, things that we may not perceive. Whatever can be perceived by anybody, at any time, at any place, because there are many secrets that we don't know, in, in future perhaps many secrets of nature will, will unfold themselves. There are many things in the, uh, in, in the, in the, in the, below, in the earth we don't know, and in the sky we do not know. It doesn't matter. Whether we know, whatever is knowable, all of that is going to be qualified. But there is one that can never become the object of knowledge. That can never become the object of perception. Never. What is that? That is the very perceiver. Vijnataram are va kena vijaniyat. Says Yajnivalkya to Maitre. Hey Maitre, how can you ever how can you ever know the knower? How can you ever see the seer? How can you ever hear the hearer? So knower can never become the object of knowledge, the seer can never become the object of sight, the hearer can never become the object of hearing. Who is that knower? Hearer, seer, nothing but my own self. So understand. When we talk of absolute reality, when we talk of that which is beyond names and forms and qualities, it is very close to us. Although we feel frustrated that oh, that which is beyond the form, beyond attributes, beyond qualities, we can never ever know it or we can never ever, you know, uh, achieve it. But no, in fact, that which is beyond all qualities, beyond all attributes is in fact nothing but my own self. That alone can be without attributes. Everything else that is other than self always will have some attribute or qualities or the other. <coughs> so we should know this. And we must draw great comfort from this also. Because when we talk of transcendental reality, then we think it's you know, beyond our scope. In fact, that is the thing which is within our scope, because that is our own self. Everything else is beyond scope, because as far as all the immanent is concerned, so God is said to be immanent as well as transcendent. Immanent means all-pervasive, everywhere, everything. Transcendent, that which transcends everything. So whenever this word transcendent is used, we always imagine it is something but transcendent. We ultimately uh, reduce to what? Reduce to my own self. Because the knower can never be the object of knowledge. So who am I? I am really devoid of all qualifications, all attributes, all qualities. Is it not so? How can you say, Swamiji? I am all qualities. Now I am a doer, then I am an enjoyer, now I am happy, then I am unhappy, and I'm, all the time I find myself always qualified. All the time I find myself limited. All the time I find myself possessed of some attribute or the other. How do you say that the self is without the attributes? But the fact that the self or the eye can assume so many attributes shows that by itself it must be without attributes. See, it is, the example is this crystal. Crystal, which is by itself colorless, transparent, pure, 
So when you place a color, let's say flower beside it, then now the crystal appears to be orange. And the color of rose. And then when I put some other color, you know, it would appear to be a different color. And yet another color, then the crystal would appear to be of different color. Is it not so? Oh, somebody say, wait a minute, Swami, this crystal is sometimes red, sometimes yellow, sometimes blue, sometimes white, sometimes orange. And there were crystals, all kinds of colors. But when one thing assumes variety of colors, when can this crystal, the orange also, and of this color also, pink, when can it be? Only when by itself it does not have any color. Is it not so? So that which itself does not have any color can alone assume colors. Otherwise, take this one here, this cloth. Let us put this beside that, you know. Does the color of the cloth change? It does not, because it has its own color. You can't change it. So how come this thing gets influenced by whatever is placed beside it? Because it is available for being influenced in the sense that it does not have any color or qualification of its own. Similarly, I, just I, plain and simple I, has no qualification at all, has no form. And that's the reason why it is available for assuming all forms and all qualifications. <coughs> Therefore, when I identify with my body, I think that I am a man, I am a woman, I am tall, I am short. When I identify with my mind, then I feel I am happy and happy. When I identify with my intellect, then I am a doer and enjoyer. So all these various notions I have about myself is because of this upadhi. So this flower is called upadhi of the crystal. What is upadhi? Upadhi is that which throws its weight upon something that is nearby. Look at this poor crystal. There's not a freedom not to up. It cannot resist. It cannot say, I don't want to look orange or rose color. I want to appear something else. It cannot. Whatever is placed beside it, that is what influences the crystal and crystal appears accordingly. This is called upadhi. Another color that is also upadhi. Similarly also, this body-mind complex is upadhi. The self is like crystal. Crystal is an example. Crystal is transparent, colorless, pure, having no qualification, no color of its own. And similarly also, the I, the self, is transparent, colorless, pure, having no qualification of its own. That means it is nirupadhika, it is nirguna, it is nirvishesha. Nirvishesha means devoid of all vishesha, all attributes. <coughs> so these two forms of the Lord, they are not two forms. We can say the crystal is two forms. What is one form? That it is colorful. What is the other form? It is colorless. But does the crystal have two forms really? Crystal by itself is only colorless. It just appears to be, it manifests itself in all different colors. We can say that, that the crystal appears to be rose colored, and orange, and yellow, and blue, and green are the glories of the crystal. You can put it this way. That the crystal appears possessed of different colors. Imagine appearing in different forms, different shapes. These are all the glories of the crystal. Similarly also, that God appears in all the different names and forms. This is the glory of the Lord. <coughs> and this is what you have to know. So first knowledge is to know God with all the attributes. That whatever there is, is nothing but God. And secondly, then we do know God as the word of all the attributes, as the very self. First knowledge is, whatever there is, is God. All attributes, all qualifications, all qualities, all name, form, power, knowledge, everything belongs to God. Second knowledge is, that God is my very self. When? Because that in reality, all these names, forms, qualities, attributes, and mean appearances, just as in crystal, the color is an appearance, not a reality of crystal. And so also, all the attributes, forms, etc. are appearances of the Lord. In reality, He is beyond 
or is devoid of all the attributes, all limitations, all qualifications. And who is he? He is my own self. So Brahma, Vedanta and Bhagavad Gita presents God or Brahma in this twofold way. One, as, as Brahman or God possessed of all attributes, it is called immanent reality. Immanent means all pervasive. But that God is object of meditation, dhyanam. See, therefore, there is also, there are two things, dhyayam brahma and nyayam brahma. Brahma or God, who is the object of worship. And secondly, God, who is the object of knowledge. So God, possessed of attribute, becomes for me the object of worship. Whereas God, beyond all the attributes, becomes for me the object of knowledge. See the difference here. This is very important. Therefore, there is room for both worship <coughs> as well as knowledge. They are not opposed to each other. In fact, worship leads to knowledge. So, first step is worship. Second step is knowledge. It's not that we compartmentalize. Swami, you know, I am worshipping phase of it. It's not that. But the point is that first is worship and that ultimately creates a ground for knowledge. <coughs> so this God who is manifest before me or God who is creator, sustainer, dissolver, omniscient, omnipotent, that God is what we call Dhyam Brahma, Brahma or God who is the object of worship. And of course worship is performed at different levels. We perform worship at the level of physical level. We perform worship at the level of speech. We perform worship at the level of mind. So performing worship of Lord at the level of body is called Karma Yoga. Therefore Lord Krishna in the first six chapter described Karma Yoga. This Karma Yoga is nothing but worshipping God, understand? That karma or action becomes yoga when it is performed in the spirit of worship. Otherwise, it just remains karma or action. When does action become yoga? Yoga means that which joins. So, karma yoga, when karma joins me with God. When will karma join me with God? When karma or any action is performed in the spirit of worship. Because it is really worship that joins me with God. So, if I just have worship and no karma, that is all right. So worship always in the form. And therefore, I use my action or karma that I perform my duties as an occasion for performing the worship of Lord. That very karma itself can become the worship of Lord. Swakarmana tamabhyarche siddhim vindati manavaha. Lord Krishna says, Swakarmana tamabhyarche, worshipping that Lord with one's own karma, with one's own duty. What Lord? Yatah pravartir bhutanam yena saramidam tatam The one from whom the whole universe is originated, by whom it is pervaded, and the one who is very motive, <coughs> very intelligence behind everything, worshipping that Lord with one's own duty. <coughs> this person attains perfection in terms of the purification of mind or emotional maturity. This kind of first stage of perfection attained by worship. And this is required, this is to be done. Those who are born with the purity of mind, they may not require it. Or if everybody is born with purity of mind, of one nature or the other, but then each one of us also has to remove some impurities from ourselves. Impurity in terms of attachments, aversions, anger, lust, greed, something is there always. And we have to remove that from our mind, and the means for doing that is called worship. <coughs> That's Karma Yoga. So, worship performed at the level of body, at the level of speech also, all of this is included in Karma Yoga. In India, they very often distinguish bhakti as something different from karma. <coughs> This is Swami, <coughs> I find path of bhakti, devotion is easy. This path of knowledge is difficult. 
So somebody is branded as a karma yogi, somebody is bhakti yogi, somebody is jnana yogi. But there is no need to distinguish that way. Because what happens is, in India, culturally or traditionally, bhakti or the devotion of the Lord is always associated with certain kind of actions. That when I am singing the glories of the Lord, or when I am reciting His name, when I am, you know, performing my puja to a, a form or, a, or to an image, all of this is usually called bhakti. So we would say that all of this is action, is it not? Performing puja also is an action. Reciting His name also is action. Singing His glory also is action. And therefore, you say that these are all actions. And therefore, we need not separate this bhakti yoga from karma yoga. It becomes part of karma yoga. In fact, Lord Krishna would wish that not only that we perform the action of puja with the spirit of bhakti or devotion, but we perform other mundane activities also in the spirit of devotion. It is true that it is easier to maintain the spirit of worship when we are doing puja, etc. And it is difficult to retain the spirit of worship while doing other activities. But the purpose of doing puja, etc. is that so that we get a training. This is like this becomes like a training as to how to maintain the spirit of worship while, while doing activity. And for that purpose we do specific kind of activity that is what we call puja. So that in course of time, that same spirit of worship may be reflected in other activities that we do. So at one point Swamiji says that this devotee comes out from a small puja room. So in India there is always a puja room, that room where there is an altar of the Lord where we perform this ritual. He comes out of a small puja room and enters a vast puja room in the form of the world. If he can do that, the whole universe also is ideally the manifestation of Lord. As Ramana Maharshi says, Jagataha Ishadi Yukta Sevanam. That worshipping, so serving the jagat, serving the world with this attitude that it is nothing but God. <coughs> In short, the spirit of worship may expand from the act of puja to all the actions. That is karma yoga, but this is the worship. This is what Lord Krishna taught in the first six chapters of the Gita. <coughs> this worship through action, which is called karma yoga, that that was subject matter of the first six chapters of the of the Gita. This and then you can perform worship at the mental level also. Usually it is sort of distinguished from the worship performed at a physical level and worship performed at mental level. That is also worship only. But the worship performed at mental level is called meditation. <coughs> in, 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 uh, in, in Vedanta it is called upasana. Or in general term for that is meditation. So what we at least in Vedanta mean by meditation is mental worship of the Lord. Although the word or term meditation is used for many kinds of practices performed at the level of mind, and any kind of a directed mental activity is sometimes called meditation, but we would like to call that a meditation which is of the nature of mental worship of Lord. Our meditation must have God in it. Without that there is no meditation. There are kinds of meditations where you focus your attention on your body, you know, keep on watching that on your breath or some point, something or the other, which is also fine. It has its own use. But we would call only that process meditation wherein worship of God is involved. Mental worship of God. <coughs> meditation. So there is also worship. And that became, that is the subject matter of the second six chapters. So first six chapters, worship of God through action. Second six chapters, worship of God at the mental level. Third six chapters, knowing the God. That is worship from the first phase and knowledge, knowing Him as the very self from the second phase. 
So first six chapters from the Gita, we can say, generally speaking, are devoted to knowing the God as the very self. So we have to know God in different ways. The second, second six chapters from chapter 7 to 12 also is knowing God. But knowing which God? God possessed of the attributes. God possessed of the qualifications. And the last six chapters are devoted to knowing God as my very self. That is God that is free from all the attributes. In the beginning, I need the aid in the form of attribute to worship God. When I become mature, I find a freedom from the need to aid. So in the beginning, I need aid, like an image, like something I need in order to worship God. In order for my mind to be able to focus upon God, I need some aid. Like I need an image, or I need some symbol, or I need some name, Ram, Ram, some name, some form, some image, some symbol, some concept. In Upanishads there are many kinds of meditations where no images are there, but concepts are there. Imagine the whole universe as nothing but the body of Lord, you would say. Heavens is the head of the Lord, sun is the eye of the Lord, moon is the mind of the Lord, earth are the feet of the Lord, air is the breath of the Lord, quarters are the ears of the Lord, the space is the body of the Lord. See, then that's a concept given to us. To be able to perceive that unity obtaining in the diversity. The whole universe evidently appears to consist of all diverse elements. Although now the scientists have told us that every particle in the universe is interconnected with every other particle and exerts some force upon That's okay. And, but here in Vedanta, they tell us that everything ultimately is interconnected by principles much subtler than even the physical forces, and that is what we call God or intelligence. <coughs> so thus Upanishads provide us a number of these concepts to be able to meditate upon God. So that would be called meditation, upasana. <coughs> of course for that we should know God. That is why the chapter 7 to 12 also Describe in elaborately what is the nature of God. And so in the 7th chapter, 8th chapter and ninth chapter of the Gita, Lord Krishna elaborately delineated, described, expounded his nature. And we will discuss that as we come to the verse because here also it is mentioned. Basically God, Lord Krishna says, I am the self of all. And Arjuna heard all of that, which was most fascinating. But then Arjuna says, O Lord, I being what I am right now, my mind is not subtle enough to be able to see you as the self of all. To see you everywhere, I still cannot see you everywhere. Lord Krishna said, I am the self of all. Just as the water is the self of all the waves. Or the clay is the self of all the parts. Similarly also, God's Lord Krishna says, I am the self of all the things in the world. Sentient and insentient. Just as all the parts are made of clay, so Lord Krishna says, everything in the universe is made of me. I am the very material substance from which everything is made. Which is most wonderful vision of Lord. But Arjuna says, Lord, I have difficulty. I still find it. I can see you in Rama, but it's difficult for me to see you in Ravana. How can I see a God? How can I see Lord and a rat and a cat? And I, it's difficult, says. Therefore, to help me meditate on you, please describe to me your specific glories where it is easy for me to think of you. So certain things inspire us to think of God. Not everything, right? Depending upon the state of our mind. But when you see the Himalayas and something like that, then you can see that glory and then the idea of... I think it's easier for us to associate the idea of God or divinity when we see that. 
Oh, but when you see the Ganges flowing, it's easier for us to associate the idea of divinity with that. So no doubt there are many things in the world, oh, when we are in presence of a great soul, like a saint also, it's easy for us to associate the idea of divinity there. But not everywhere. Because still, I'm a person having my own likes and dislikes. There are things that I like and there are things that I dislike. And with a mind that is riddled with likes and dislikes, it is very difficult to meditate upon God. Therefore, I require an aid. I require that kind of an object or that kind of manifestation by which my mind becomes free from likes and in presence of which or by the thought of which my mind becomes free from likes and dislikes. This, this happens to us. When we are in the midst of nature, so when you are walking along a river or standing in front of a lake or mountains and... So that has an impact upon me. That when I am impacted by that, then that time my mind does become free from attachments, aversion, worries, anxieties. I find myself free. So it is that kind of... Then I can meditate upon God. I can think of God that time. But then otherwise, when I see somebody, you know, he reminds me, there is history that with that person, immediately reminds me of all the pain he has inflicted upon me. I can't think of God. Or in history with somebody else. So when I meet that person, it reminds me of all the relation I have, all the joys and things like that, that I had in presence of that person. Even then also it is difficult to think of God. That is when my mind is in front of harsha and shoka, elation and depression. Both the times my mind is disturbed. So we want a mind that is free from rajas and tamas, agitation and dullness. We need a mind which is sattvic mind, which enjoys certain quietude, tranquility. And right now I am not in a position to be able to make my mind tranquil. I require help to do that. Therefore, of course, helps are given to us, like here, Lord Dakshinamurta, whatever. Whoever is our Ishtadevata. Ishtadevata means the, the deity of my choice. So when I'm in, somebody told me, one youngster told me, Swamiji, I, when I go to temple, nothing happens to me. I don't see God there. I don't think of God. I said, it never happens. There's no Swamiji. In India, in Goa, we have our family deity. When I go to that temple, there is one place where I have the feeling that I'm in presence of something divine. Fine. There's something. So this is what we want, need, we need right now. It is true to say that we should be able to remember God at all the time, that is fine. And we should be able to see God everywhere, but it's not that easy. Because the time, place and conditions impact my mind. When you're in Times Square, can you think of God? It's very difficult, you know, very difficult. Swami will talk about Sita Prajna, a man of abiding wisdom who can be, who would abide in God regardless of where he is, because he is free from any impacting at all. That is a tremendous amount of abidance he has. Not only that, but everywhere he is able to see that in behind every form, however ugly it is, however obscene it is, but behind that also he is able to see that this is just a form. And what comes in that form is the same divine. But as I say, for me at this time, to be able to be indifferent to the form is very difficult because forms still impact me. Therefore I need preferentially those forms which inspire me to think of God. So I still need to be inspired. And that's what Arjuna says in the 10th chapter. Kasam Vidyamaham Yogin. Hey Yogin, O Lord, how do I know you? Vam sada parichintayan, all the time thinking about you. Arjuna knows that if I think about God all the time, then slowly and slowly my mind will become pure and then it will be in a position to know. The problem is, I can't think of God when the mind is not pure. And my mind will not become pure if I don't think of it. See our problem. I cannot think of God when my mind is not pure. And mind cannot become pure unless I think of God. So what do we do? So that is where the tenth chapter comes in. Comes in. That is where Arjuna's request, prayer comes in. Keshu keshu bhavesu, chinkyesu bhagavan maya, 
Oh Lord, please tell me, what are those forms in which I should think of you? That is, describe to me those forms which will inspire me and which will help me to think of you. Thus the tenth chapter of Bhagavad Gita is, 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 a, is a delineated description by Lord, wherein so many such manifestations of forms are described. That's all cultural. The tenth chapter is purely cultural. Even eleventh chapter also is very much cultural, the kind of descriptions that we see. But the principle is there. So we discussed tenth chapter of the Gita last year in one of the camps. And the glories that I described, it may be difficult for people from other cultures to relate to all those glories because Lord Krishna says, I'm Indra among all the gods now. Now that because certain background. I'm the Samaveda among all the Vedas. I'm a particular tree, Aswatha, or people tree among all the trees. I'm Narada among all the Devarshis. I'm Kapila among all the Siddha. Now all these are purely cultural things, and therefore when a Western reads that thing, it cannot relate to that at all. There may be a few things to which everybody will be able to relate, but anyway, in short, every culture provides us this kind of aids in their own way. To help us think of God or meditate upon God. And the worship is always going to be cultural. As far as worship is concerned, there cannot be just one type. Because it depends upon me, I must be emotionally connected to God. And that requires me to be emotionally impacted. And that's where culture generally comes into play. It is not that we cannot relate to other forms, we can, but largely this worship is something where culture has a role to play. <clears throat> and so 10th chapter described the various forms called the glories of the Lord, which were described in order that Arjuna can think of Lord. I look at the sky, I see the sun. Lord Krishna says, I am the sun among all the luminaries. At night I look at the sky, I see the moon. Lord Krishna says, I am the moon among all the stars. I recite the Vedas. Lord Krishna says, I am the Samaveda among all the Vedas. So, for an Indian person, or for a Vedic person, even today it is difficult. For a Vedic person, what is all described, that is very relevant because they are the day-to-day things for them. In short, Lord Krishna described a number of his glories and there were many general things also described. Lord Krishna even said that, Mrityu Sarvaharasyaham, I am the very death. They rob you of everything, including your life, that death I am. He is not afraid of describing, describing himself any, because he is everything. I am the very time, which keeps on counting, tick, tick, tick. Among the counters, among those who count, among accountants, I am time, he says. Which always keeps a proper account. Among those who rob everything, I am the death, death, who robs everything away. Among those who cheat, I am the game of dice, Lord Krishna says, I am the game of dice among those who cheat. He is no hesitation in describing himself as a cheater, because ultimately he is a self of all. Now this was a description at the time of Arjuna. If today Lord Krishna came and described his glory, it would the form may be different. Among all the jets I am 747 and among all the cars I am, I don't know, Mercedes or among all, whatever he may say, I don't know. Among all the weapons I am, some kind of bomb, whatever it is. Among all the missiles and this, among all the rockets and that, whatever. Among all the computers I am such and such one, I don't know. <laughs> among all the websites I am such and such website, I don't know. So recently somebody sent me an email saying that is now that everybody has his email address, God's also email addresses. And therefore the following are the email addresses of gods, different gods. You can contact them. If you need wealth, find the Lakshmi. Then say, you know, what is it? Lakshmi at Vaikuntha by Narayana, something like that. If you want to remove obstacles, fine. Ganesha at Kailasa by Shiva, something like that, whatever the language is, you know. Anyway, therefore, 
All these things are, they depend upon the time, place and conditions. And therefore, the glories that are described in the 10th chapter were relevant to Arjuna at that time, at that place, and that cultural upbringing. But this ultimately Lord Krishna said, Yad Yad Vibhuti Matsatvam Whatever it is, sentient or insentient, which you find possessed of any glory, Srimat, possessed of Sri or the beauty, Urjitam, possessed of power. Here you know, wherever you see beauty, wherever you see power, wherever you see glory, wherever you see any of this, know that to be the manifestation of a part of me. Here, Arjuna, there is nothing in the universe that can be without me. And so a general description is given. Wherever you find any glory, remember that it is a manifestation of a, a part of me. This is also beautiful. Whenever I see any glory, rather than, rather than taking that glory to belong to that object or that person, I must remember that this is glory of God. So when I see somebody who is very brilliant, I always feel jealous, you know, he's more brilliant, he's brighter than I am, more intelligent than I am, so forth and so on. Rather than that, I should remind myself, that the brilliance I find there is a brilliance, that is manifestation of a part of the Lord. The brightness, brilliance, glory, name, fame, power, recognition, everything, they are all glories. All of these are glories of the Lord, manifesting through that name and form. And ultimately, who is that God? Nothing but my own self. And therefore, one can even say, whatever I see is what? The glory of whom? Glory of nothing but my own self. Most comforting. Then there will be no sense of inadequacy at all. Because whatever wonderful things are there, they are all nothing but my glories. But Swami, how about all the miserable things? They are also my glories. They are all glories. That's the real glory. Appearing something without being that. That's very, that's, that's a great glory. So in the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna described his incarnation. And so Arjuna, I have asked this question. Because Lord Krishna made a statement in the beginning of fourth chapter. Saying that, hey Arjuna, the knowledge that I imparted you today is the knowledge that I imparted to the very first born in the beginning of creation. So Surya Sun is supposed to be the very first born in the beginning of creation. I imparted the same knowledge to him at the beginning of creation. And Arjuna was just wondering, how can it be? Arjuna did not wonder, he knew. But he thought that when other people hear the statement of the Lord, that he imparted knowledge thousands of years ago, millions, I don't know how many years ago. How can it be? You are sitting in front of me right here. And I know that you were born just some years ago. How could you have imparted knowledge to someone who happened to be there thousands of years ago? How can it be? Oh, maybe you remember everything. But how can you remember? You are a human being and I am also a human being. I don't remember my past. How can you remember? In short, Arjuna asked that question to bring out some great secret about Lord Krishna that he is something very special. Even though appearing as a human being, he is not just a human being, he is God. God possessed of all the glories. It's not that just because he manifests a human form, that he in any way is confined. And therefore, even though wielding a human form, he is not limited by that form. So this was, a, this was explained in the fourth chapter. It's called in, Avatara, Incarnation. So how Incarnation maintains the omniscience, omnipresence, everything to, in totality. <coughs> and so, then it was said, if you are, if you are all pervasive, how can you appear to be possessed of one body? It means that I appear to be possessed of body without really possessing it. But if you are eternal, how can you be born? I appear to be born without being born. He is eternal. In eternal, there cannot be birth and death. 
and still Lord Krishna appears to be born, oh, we celebrate his birth every year. In India we always celebrate birth and never death. It's very amazing how the death is glorified in, in the uh, Western culture and you know? all. Death of Jesus Christ and death of Muhammad and death. Elaborately celebrate that, all kinds of things, with pain and so forth. Nobody knows when Lord Krishna went away, and nobody knows even when. Death is not important. What is important is birth. That's to be celebrated. Anyway, and so we celebrate Lord, birth of Lord Krishna as though being born, as though possessed of the body, as though performing so many actions, without really doing anything, appearing to do everything. Without being born, appearing to be born. Without being confined to the body, appearing to be possessed of the body. This is the glory. Anyway, Lord Krishna has been describing His glories all along, and particularly in the same chapter, at the request of Arjuna, He described in detail, elaborately, various manifestations for aid for, to, as aid to meditation, so that we can think of God, we can meditate upon God. It's called Dhyayam Brahma, Brahma or God, to be worshipped, to be meditated. <coughs> in, last, in the last verse of the 10th chapter, Lord Krishna says, Here, Arjuna, even if you know all of these glories, so what? Still, it is not knowing me in my totality, because you have to know me not only the one who is immanent, but one who is beyond immanence also. Understand that I am sustaining this whole universe by my part of me. This is how Lord Krishna described. The whole manifest universe is nothing but something that is sustained by just a part of me. Meaning that I am the self of the whole universe. Vishwatma, I am the self of the whole universe. This is how Lord Krishna concluded the tenth chapter. And this is what made Arjuna very curious, not curious, but anxious or desirous rather, of seeing that. Lord Krishna said that, I sustain the whole universe in a part of me. The whole universe is sustained by me. So Arjuna was very greatly desirous of seeing, how is it? How, how do you appear, O Lord? as you are the cosmic form. So whole cosmos, you are sustaining in you. You are the self of the whole universe, whole cosmos. Hey, can I see that form? No, this is most amazing. Nobody is dared ever to ask Lord Krishna to show a form like that. But Arjuna is very simple. That's why it's called Arjuna. Rujitvat Arjuna. One who is straightforward. As I said earlier, there is a tree called Arjuna, which is always a straight tree. And Arjuna also by character is, as his name is, straightforward. That being the case, he is honest and simple. And therefore he can express his feelings. We would think ten times before expressing our feelings, because we are concerned as to how we shall be judged and what will happen and so forth and so on. But Arjuna had no difficulty. So this thought occurred in his mind, how if I can see the cosmic form of the Lord, and he, Arjuna, wants to see that. He, he expresses a desire before the Lord. And that is what brings about the eleventh chapter. And thus, eleventh chapter opens with a statement on the part of Arjuna. But right away he does not make the request. Right away he doesn't reveal his intention. But he, he sort of, by, by praising the Lord, and by, by saying how grateful he is because what Lord has done to him, he forms a background of asking that question. And so, for the first two verses of the eleventh chapter are of the nature of that praise on the part of Arjuna, also recounting what it is that he has heard from Lord Krishna. <coughs> that sorry, sort of background for making a request for seeing his cosmic form. <coughs> so let us go to the first verse now. It is uh, on the page 7. Although the verse 7th is not visible in my book, but it is one before 8th, page 5. Arjuna uvacha 
అర్జున ఉవాచ మదనుగ్రహాయ పరమం మదనుగ్రహాయ పరమం గృష్యమధ్యాత్మసంహితం గృష్యమధ్యాత్మసంహితం యత్వయోక్తం వచస్తేన వచస్తేన మోహోయం విగతో మమ మోహోయం విగతో మమ అర్జున ఉవాచ అర్జున సైడ్ మదనుగ్రహాయ పరమం గృష్యం అధ్యాత్మసంగీతం యత్వయా ఉక్తం వచ సో యత్ వచ ఉక్తం దోస్ వర్డ్ ఫర్ వాట్ మద్ అనుగ్రహాయ ఫర్ బ్లెసింగ్ మీ ఫర్ ఫేవరింగ్ మీ సో అనుగ్రహ అనుగ్రహ మీన్స్ ఫేవర్ అనుగ్రహ సెకండ్ బ్లెసింగ్ ఆర్ ఫేవర్ So for saving me, Arjuna says, Madanugrahaya, that, O oh Lord, now referring to all the instruction, the teaching that he has received up to the 10th chapter, in the first two verses, Arjuna summarizes what he has heard from Lord Krishna in these 10 chapters. In the first two verses that we just read, Arjuna summarizes what Lord Krishna told him in the first six chapters. And why did you tell me all this? What is the need for Lord Krishna to give the elaborate teaching, Upadesha, instruction? Arjuna understands that. Madanugrahaya. Oh Lord, it was purely your grace. Purely to bless me. Purely to favor me. <coughs> that you did all this. I know that I don't deserve it. I know that I don't have any qualification really to become your disciple or to deserve the instruction or the teaching that you imparted. But that even so kind and compassionate, so anugraha, anugraha means the favor. That is an expression of kindness or compassion. And therefore, the qualification of the one who is saved is not important. In anugraha, anugraha means in compassion, in, 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 in blessing or in favoring, the one who blesses becomes important. Because out of compassion, out of kindness and compassion, O oh Lord, you give me all this teaching, for it, this teaching to me, it is purely your compassion. Anugraha is a very beautiful word, Sanskrit word, of course. Anu, Anu means paschat, following something. See, there are, you may be familiar with these words, Anuja, many, many parents name that child Anuja. So, Anu means following or later, and Ja means born, Anuja, one is born later. So, elder son may be called something, the second son is called Anuja, sometimes, you know, because he is born later, after someone, Anuja. Anu means Paschat, following. So, Anumanam, this word you may have heard when Swami talks about Pramanam and Shiva, Anumanam. Manam and Anumanam. Anu means that which follows, follows Manam. What is Pramanam? What is Manam? The means of knowledge, the perception. So perception is the primary means of knowledge and that is follows the perception. It's called Anumana. You know, just to... Now, this is just by the way. But the standard example of explaining inference. So Anumana is for inference. The standard example given the Shastra for inference is Parvato Vandiman. That this slope is fire. There is fire on the hill. How do you say that? Because of the smoke. So I have not seen the fire. All I see is smoke. But still I say there is fire. I know that there is fire. Not only I say, I know there is fire. How do I know? My inference. So this is called inference. Inference is called anumana. Insulted. So what I see is manam. What I see is perception. That is the smoke. And following that perception, what comes is the knowledge. Following the knowledge of smoke comes the knowledge of fire. So knowledge of fire is something that follows the knowledge of smoke. Knowledge of smoke is something that is perceptual, that is I know. It's called manam. And what follows is called anumanam. Therefore knowledge of fire is called inference or anumanam. Just to explain, I mean the word anumanam. Anu. Like Lakshma is called anuja. Rama is called agraja, the one who is born earlier. Anuja, the one who is born later. Anugraha, anyway, here we are concerned with anugraha. So 
So this word also is the two elements, Hanu and Graha. You know what is Graha? Graha means to hold something. This is called Graham, Graha, to hold something. So Anugraha means favor. That word shows. When does favor come? Favor also presupposes something. Lord, of course, is said to be of the nature of compassion. And his compassion is equally available to everybody, of course. It's not that there is no Vaishamyam, there is no partiality in him. Just like sun, the sunlight is equally available to everybody, there is no partiality at all. Similarly also, Lord is the very nature of compassion. And therefore, his compassion is equally available to everybody. However, there are only a few who seem to experience that compassion. Everybody does not seem to experience that. Why is it so? Because there is some expectation on our part also in order to experience that compassion. Like there is some expectation on our part also to experience the sunlight and that is open our window. That is that much we should do, open the window. Then the sunlight can flood into our house. Similarly also, some window needs to be opened for the anugraha or the compassion or the grace of the Lord to follow, to flow. That is called graha. Hold him, catch his feet, hold his feet. You hold his feet and then you become the recipient of his favor or grace. That's what Arjuna did. Shishyasteham sadhimam tvam prapannam. Shishyasteham, O Lord, I am your disciple. Sadhimam, please teach me. Prapannam, I am surrendered to you. Thus, in effect, Arjuna caught hold of the feet of Lord Krishna. Symbolically not, you know, but then Prapannam, when he says, that's what the word means also, Prapanna, by the way. It comes from Pra and Pad. Prapad. Prapad means the, the four, four part of our foot. Our foot, the, the, uh, the former, the four, four part, the forward part is called Prapad. And catching that is called Prapad. The one who does that is called Prapanna. So one who has caught hold of the feet is called Prapanna. Arjuna was Prapanna. Arjuna caught hold of the feet of the Lord. He did Graha. And therefore, he was recipient of Anugraha. So, that is when the... Otherwise, Lord Krishna has all the knowledge. He knows like Arjuna all this time. I'm sure Lord Krishna knew that Arjuna was in need of this knowledge. But still, all this time, his favor was not granted. When Arjuna did Graha, when he caught hold of Lord's feet, when he became surrender, prapannam, then immediately the Anugraha followed. Mad Anugraha, for favoring me, for showering your blessing to me, because you have the nature of compassion, out of compassion for me. And that's the only qualification Arjuna has. Then he caught hold of the feet of the Lord. That's all, no other qualification. And that's, that's great. <coughs> Arjuna is not like Nasiketa, he's not like Shvetaketu, he's not an Uttamadhika, he's the most exalted, what Vedanta describes as the real Adhikari, the fit student. Viveka sadhana satushya sampanna, viveka vairagya samadhishatka sampatti. He has some measure of all this, but not measure that Upanishad would demand. But he was filled with the same knowledge that Upanishad imparts. That's why it is Srimad Bhagavad Gita so Upanishad. So Bhagavad Gita arka Upanishad. <coughs> because Graha, what he did was, he, he surrendered the Lord caught hold of the feet of the Lord. And that's how he became the recipient of favor or anugraha of the Lord. So out of compassion towards me, out of kindness towards me, O Lord, you have... And he, he here sort of, uh, he acknowledges. This is a statement of acknowledgement on the, on the part of Arjuna that, yes, I acknowledge that you have done this to me. I acknowledge and that all your teaching is not gone to waste that I have mohoyam vigato mama. My moha, my vivaka, my delusion is gone, he says. And that is assuring the Lord that, acknowledging and assuring that your teaching has done its job. That my moha, my aviveka, my non-discrimination is removed by your grace, by your compassion. This is how Arjuna begins to state the 11th chapter. We'll discuss the rest of the part of the verse also in the next class. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade 